Hello, dear friends. This is Jordan Rich, and you're tuned to On Mike with Jordan, a podcast that celebrates the art of intelligent conversation with people who have something to give and something to say. You're about to meet a science fiction writer heralding his first big novel, and having read it and enjoyed it, I can tell you he's on his way to more great things. His name is T.F. Murphy. He's based in Chicago these days, but he hails from the Boston area originally. And his book, The Ways of God to Men, Volume 1, explores the notions of spirituality and God and whether or not the human race is worth fighting for. It's really fun learning about T.F. Murphy because he's a young guy with a thirst for knowledge. He's educated in both philosophy and literature and has a love affair with film. So get ready as we hop around from John Milton to Nietzsche to Ridley Scott and Christopher Nolan with this bright young man who's got a great future. Happy to invite sci-fi novelist T.F. Murphy to join me as we go on Mike. Well, first off, let me just say that I really enjoyed the book, and uh, now I have to get set for number two. When is number two due, Tim? Uh, the projection would be uh, January. Uh, I'm thinking January, early February. This is a monumental piece of work. It's a lot of pages and a lot of effort went into it. How long was the process? Um, I started, you know, for, for the form of the book that you got, uh, nearly 10 years. It's so true. Uh, it's like birthing a baby, only if a woman had to be pregnant for 10 years, I don't think they'd ever give birth. Uh, oh, <laughs> but it could, be, it could be a real grind. But congratulations uh, yeah. on The Ways of God to Men. Let's talk about the title, because it has to do with a, a famous expression from a famous philosopher and writer. Tell us about it. Well, the uh, quote comes from John Milton, uh, Paradise Lost. It's from the uh, opening, the opening uh, verse, mm -hmm. and it's the last line in that verse. And actually the title, uh, that wasn't the intention when I began the project. I found the title probably when I finished the first draft or right before I finished the first draft. Uh, and I realized that the story lined up with Paradise Lost as far as the characterization goes, especially the villain character. So I said, I, I realized that at a certain point and actually in the story, uh, the villain character is, he like quotes literature, right? So, so yeah. um, he probably would have picked up on that so in, in the book, you can see him quote, it's, it's not just the title. Uh, one of the characters quotes Paradise Lost several times. And, you know, the other characters in the story don't really know what he's quoting, but it just, it's one of those things that just worked out. It, it wasn't, wasn't planned. And I feel like when you do an artistic project, when things start clicking like that, it, it's, it seems you feel like things are moving in the right direction. Well, Tim, uh, philosophy plays a big part and we'll explore that with you in a moment, but let's explain what this book is doing. It's telling a story about a horrible disease that invades the planet, man-made. Oh gosh, very prescient on your part. Oh yeah. As you said, 10 years ago, you started this. You didn't know anything about coronavirus or COVID. It also involves the future and time travel and lots of elements of science fiction. So who are your influences? If you want to talk about influences, I'm more of a cinematic person. Um, so I'm actually writing, a lot of the stories I write are, are informed by cinema, whereas the writing style is in, informed by poetry, philosophy, and uh, certain key authors. So I, the inspiration for the story really came from, I, I think I came up with it after I saw the movie Vanilla Sky. And that was the, the turning point where I wanted to take parts of that story and take it a little bit further. I remember coming up with the story. Most of the major scenes were pretty much set within a couple of weeks of coming up with the, the premise. So I kind of storyboarded it before I even started it. So I knew where the story was going the whole time, especially uh, the ending. I draw from many different things subconsciously. So uh, the Paradise Lost example was a, was a very prime example of that, where I didn't even realize I was being formed by Paradise Lost. It just happened that way. 
But within the story, I would say major movies that kind of influenced it. And I think more in terms of, well, I can, I can speak of directors like Ridley Scott, Blade Runner is a huge influence on what I try to do. That's the, the, the mixture of philosophy, uh, really almost literature. There's lines in that that could be quoted almost in literature. Well, it's a classic movie based on a classic science fiction story, uh, Dreaming of Electric Sheep and all that. There's a lot going on here, and I I keep coming back to the fact that you started it 10 years ago. As it's wrapping up, was the pandemic that we're currently in already taking shape? And what did you think about your... Uh, No, actually, the the pandemic wasn't even a concept to me. Um, I finished the first draft in 2018. Um, So well before what's going on now. well, Well before, yeah. And, you know, I was more editing. I was, this was an editing process. This is kind of a stylistic choice, but the, the way I usually write is I, I try to write too much and then cut down at the end. I've seen interviews with stand-up comedians that kind of speak of the same thing, where they, where they try a lot of jokes and then they see what sticks and what doesn't, and then they cut later to create like an hour special. So it's almost yeah. like when I write, you know, there's a lot of lines there and it's mostly the, the editing process where it actually is given form. We're talking about a young guy. Uh, you're in your early 30s, I guess, somewhere in that range. Yes, I just okay. turned 32. I was interested in reading it uh, to understand your your thought process, but also to appreciate your references and your wordplay and your use of vocabulary. Most right. people in <laughs> in their 30s don't possess the kind of vocabulary you have. Where does that come from? Does that stem from somewhere? Uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, that's uh, somewhat intentional. I mean, I, I decided I wanted to be a writer at the age of 14, 15. And I had actually read Paradise Lost when I was 15. And uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson was, is, a, is a huge influence on what I do. I remember there was, there was kind of a, a, a lineage to the point where I wanted to be like a philosopher slash writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say it, it, it started with cinema. And I'd, I'd say one of my first major influences was Tarantino. And then I just started studying film and eventually just one thing, kind of one thing led to another. And there was this moment where I read Emerson and it wasn't so much the philosophy of Emerson, which is a, which is a big part. He has a, a beautiful philosophy. Uh, it was more the, the, the wordplay. There was this um, way in which he expresses himself where um, one of the most moving things in art for me would be language. I was always gravitate towards reading an amazing line and going, wow, that, you know, stopping and rereading mm. it, that type of thing. Um, another writer that does that, who's more of a novelist, would be F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, is a big influence on me. Story-wise, I, I like F. Scott Fitzgerald's stories, but I think what separates him as a writer and makes him a classic writer is the fact that he can just write these sentences that seem to come from nowhere. It's so, so interesting you say that because uh, I'm a, a fan of so many writers over the years. Say someone like Cormac McCarthy, who doesn't even use punctuation in some cases. Oh, right, right. It's creative. It's different. I, you know, I read a lot of novels and a lot of science fiction, and, and this was done in almost a, a poetic style in a lot of cases, very poetic. And that obvious to me now is intentional. So John Milton, you're reading Paradise Lost when you're 15. That's did, not yeah. exactly light reading. I know you, you, yeah, know, yeah. you get the assignments and all that. But <laughs> right, right. Well, I, it was it was over the summer, and I remember uh, reading Paradise Lost, and that, that that's been my favorite book since I read it. Uh, you know, as far as like the 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 wordplay in that, it's 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 amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote it when he was blind as well, um, which which is also amazing. You know, I think it's a, an example of like his masterwork being written when he lost a sense. It's almost like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. You know, when you lose a sense, you almost become elevated, almost intellectually or spiritually. But uh, to take it off that, 
uh, as far as the vocabulary goes, I was, I was actually looking up words from that age. I mean, I started looking up words when I was like 13 or 14, but then I, it, when I read Emerson and, and uh, Paradise Lost, Milton, and started reading you know, Shakespeare, stuff like that, I, I, would, um, I had the intention of being a writer. I, I, I feel like I envisioned this novel for a very long time and just didn't, didn't realize what form it was gonna take. And uh, I would just write down the words and I would create word lists and just, and just uh, memorize them from, from a young age. Well, let me ask you a couple of things about science fiction tropes, because there's a lot of it here. And we've all heard about time travel from H.G. Wells and on. And yours is kind of a unique and certainly individual approach to the time travel. You want to explain to the audience without giving anything away how people travel in time in this book? Sure. Um, basically, when I did the time travel in this one, I didn't want the focus of the story to be on the time travel. Um, so it's almost like I wanted the story, I wanted it to be grounded in realism. So I wanted it to be character based. And that was, that was a, an intention right from the beginning where it was more, um, I wanted it to be more of like a Shakespearean tale in the sense that it, it, it went deep into these characters. Uh, so as far as the time travel goes, the time, tra- the, the story is grounded in, in the characters. So the time travel, you, ex- I write it as, as just an accepted reality in the story. And, but at the center of the story is more so the conflicts. And I think what drove the story more than anything was that I, I knew what the conflicts were and I wanted to see those conflicts play out. Yeah, the technology is sparse and simple. And part of the reason might be because in the future, things are really cruddy when the disease wipes out most of the population and everything just grinds to a halt anyway. But I was fascinated well, yeah. that you were able to have 30 years from now, this unique technology that enables people to travel back. And there are some restrictions, of course. There are always restrictions. Oh, yeah, there's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> the old kill your grandfather, you don't show up in the present day kind oh, right, of right. stuff, which is always cool. No, it is. It is a character driven piece. I, I would imagine, you know, you could see this as a screenplay, uh, multiple episodes, but a screenplay as well. So so one of the intentions of, for me as a writer is it's it's very cinematic in its presentation. I, I, I almost want it. Uh, the stories I write, I'm, you know, writers have different styles and some some writers in literature like to experiment with having uh, a less plot driven or it's um, more of an artistic representation of a story. Um, I feel like, you know, I try to do stories that have a very definite uh, conflict, beginning, middle, and end, and it, it's, it's driven along in a cinematic fashion. I want, the, I want the reader to be entertained, first and foremost, and driven by the story. Um, so plot, plot comes first for me. Um, and then next, the writing style would be the flesh, you know, kind of the flesh of the novel. That's, that, that's where writing style comes in. Because if, if there is not an intention in the writing style, it almost just should be a movie. That's what makes it a book and makes it why, why I want it to be a book first. And it's funny that you mentioned screenplay and I, I envision the same thing. And that's you know, one of the intentions is to, is you, to you, adapt it. You told us you storyboarded it and that immediately suggests you think visually. And uh, I just want to go back to some notes that I took and things that you sent me. Influential writers, you mentioned Milton, Dostoevsky, James Joyce, some heavies. Some of my favorites, George Orwell and Aldous Huxley, of course. Oh, yeah. World Aldous Huxley. But then you include Jim Morrison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about um, that and why. Although it is music, it still influenced me, I would say, in a, in a literature fashion. Um, I used to listen to the music of The Doors a lot when I was younger. And I think that was the first uh, instance where I encountered something that was philosoph- philosophically grounded, um, but also philosophical and soulful as well. 
what I gravitate towards is, is uh, not just philosophy, because there are, there are philosophers that are rather technical. Um, I think Immanuel Kant would be a really good example of that. Although intellectually speaking, he's, he's amazing. I think he's a really great writer. Um, Critique of Pure Reasons is a, is a masterwork. But the type of philosophers I, I gravitate towards would be, uh, you know, Soren Kierkegaard is an example, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and uh, Nietzsche. And they all have the, the philosophy coupled with uh, spirit and, and soul. And it moves you while also thinking, you know, with that separation. And when I was listening to The Doors when I was younger, I, I would say that was probably the most influential artist I encountered. It really changed the way mm. I um, interpreted literature, maybe want to read, um, kind of understand what the songs were about. And I think one of the, the one of the most interesting things about art, it's one of the best ways to convey uh, a message is, is through art, because a lot of times there's a question mark with art. You, you, you see the, uh, the expression, the end result, and then you wonder where this came from. And then you go, okay, what did this person encounter? And uh, I think with, with a guy like Jim Morrison, especially the song, The End uh, by The Doors was, was a huge influence. Um, you know, I kind of wondered what, what, what produced that. And that's what caused me to read uh, guys like Nietzsche and then it led to Emerson and, and th th there was kind of a lineage to everything. Yeah, it, the, the enlightenment period for philosophy was a great period. Um, I always want to talk to people who know philosophy to ask, are there people today who have the philosophy cred that the people back then seemed to have? Because you're talking about Nietzsche and Kant and all these amazing guys and some women too along the way. But who out there today is doing modern philosophy? Anyone? Uh, that's a good question. I actually haven't been following modern philosophy um, uh, or more, more postmodern. I'm not sure what era in. The, so I, I, when I studied philosophy, I studied through the history. And when you study philosophy, it helps to know what came before because nothing comes in isolation. It's, it's almost, mm. you know, the Hegelian dialectic where where everything is drawn from something else. And, you know, that that dialectic. Um, so when I studied the history of philosophy, I moved up to I think the latest philosopher I studied was Maurice Merleau-Ponty. Uh, and that was I think he was in the 60s and 70s was when I think I think is when he passed away. Mm -hmm. And that once I got to that point, that's as far as I went with philosophy. Well, so, I, I, I kind of asked that question sort of jokingly because I, I, I don't think that those kinds of philosophers are, are available to us as much today. And I think because it's, everything's so fast and quick and. Well, I think I think um, I, I think uh, a large to a large extent, it's, it's um, the uh, primacy of um, science in, in contemporary society. Mm -hmm. um, where, which is, which is, which is a form of philosophy. So it's, it's a, it's an empiricist view of reality. And, um, it's, it's almost, I feel like a lot of people feel like there's no more questions to ask. And, um, you know, I, I obviously don't think that. So no, no, no. Yeah. And that's why science fiction is still such a great art form because you're asking questions and suggesting possibilities. There are always possibilities. Let's come back to the movies because, I, like you, love film, and you mentioned that uh, you can name every Best Picture and Best Actor Academy Award winner from 1968 on, which is pretty impressive. Well, I, can maybe, do the, uh, I can do the maybe. 1930s, but that just tells you how <laughs> uh, But But you, you listed some of your influential films, and they include uh, Ridley Scott's Alien, uh, 12 Monkeys, which actually, that film, as I'm reading your book, I'm thinking 12 Monkeys to a certain extent. There's a little bit of that influence there. A couple more I just wanted to mention. One of them is 
a couple of them by Christopher Nolan. One, Memento, which is, of course, told backwards and is such a great device. You spent a lot of time in the movies. <laughs> I did. I was, I was, uh, especially when I was younger. It was, uh, I was, um, I, at first I, I wanted to be a, a filmmaker. That was the first intention. So I, I used to study movies. And, and what's, what's great about writers in, in the 21st century, especially, is, and I feel like writers now have an advantage over novelists from, you know, the 30s, 20, uh, you know, uh, the, the 20th century and the 19th century is the fact that we, as people that have been able to see movies, we see stories condensed into a two hour period. And it gives you a very strong sense of, of beginning, middle and end and how stories get drawn out and how you carry uh, narratives. So I feel like um, as far as narratives go, I feel like when I, when I study to be a writer or I research for writing, I, I look to movies a lot of times for what the story, how the story is actually going to go. So um, it's just a little tool and um, the type of stories I, I, I enjoy. So Well, I appreciate that because when I'm reading a book, I'm, I'm seeing it as a, as a vision, as a film in my head, and many people do. So a, a key philosophical question, which relates directly to Milton in the book that we're talking about by T.F. Murphy, and again, it's called The Ways of God to Men, Volume 1, is... Basically, uh, is it all going to be worth fighting for? Is it worth saving? Is what we have and what we've developed and what we've screwed up worth retrieving? Pretty heady answer, a heady question to a difficult. Well, yeah, and, and, and it's interesting because when, when you read the book, it's, it's somewhat um, what I try to avoid doing is inserting a hard cut opinion that comes from me. So it's almost like, um, you know, I feel like a lot of writers for um, that write longer pieces that have these type of questions, there's almost like a schizophrenia involved where you, you're creating all these different characters that have different viewpoints. And that's what I try to convey in the story. It's almost, um, I think you brought up Dostoevsky, mm -hmm. but um, Brothers Karamov in particular, a novel, um, I think it was his last novel, um, is a piece that, you know, explores different issues, uh, philosophical weighty issues but it does it through the characters and it does it in, 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 uh, through a matter of perspective. So as far as, um, that question itself, I would say, I would, that's the, you know, I would say ab absolutely, but I'm actually exploring that question myself. And that's, that's why you write a book. And that's the most interesting thing about writing a book is you figure out, it's almost like in conversation, um, some of the best ways to uncover truth. I mean, Socrates definitely believed this, but one of the best ways to uncover truth is to have a conversation. This has been, um, conversations I've had where at the end of it, I worked out an issue that I, I didn't even know I had, where it's like, oh, okay, I got that. Um, and I feel like a, a book is a conversation. So within this book, I would say philosophically speaking, the way, the way the book, I feel like the way the book works is there is a, um, a, a narrative conclusion. And then there's also kind of a, a conclusion to that question. And that more comes at the end of volume two, volume one is more, is, 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 is the more, uh, set up, uh, you know, the, the action. And I'd say volume two is where a lot of those questions come to. There is a, but the, the interesting thing as well is, is that the conclu there's conclusions for specific characters. So what I try to do is show how these different characters view that question and then see how that draws out. 
How that, how that and, and it's a great device because we see ourselves in the various characters, even the negatives. We see the, the villain and we can identify even with that individual. And that's yep. the sign of uh, an effective messaging in the novel. But it, it's also, let's face it, fun. I mean, it's a fun novel. It's a fun read. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of action and a lot of uh, – well, I, I, I've got to mention this. Uh, you and I are members of the same alma mater. You're a Curry College graduate at one I point. Am. Yeah. And then you went on to other schooling for philosophy and more. Tell us about that. Yeah, I went from, uh, so in Curry College, I studied um, philosophy and English. That was my, that was my undergrad. Uh, I, I thought it had a great program. I had some great professors there. Um, there was a professor, uh, Professor Robert Smith was a, was a huge influence. Um, uh, and that's, you know, in, in that, in that period, that's where the history of philosophy, I think mm -hmm. I, I think what I took most from that experience is the history of philosophy. And um, uh, I, I feel like I couldn't have done it in a better place. From there, I, I would say in that from there, I moved, I actually went to school in Canada. So I went, I went to school at a, a school called Brock University. Uh, it's in Southern Ontario. It's right, right next to Niagara Falls. And um, that, was, that, was a, that was an amazing experience for me. Um, it was a master's program and it basically solidified a lot of the styles in, in what my intentions are uh, with writing. And, you know, one of the things that drew me to that program was, was specifically who they offered to study. And one of the main uh, uh, guys that I studied there would be uh, Martin Heidegger, which was, which is a, a big influence on, on my writing uh, just to show that, that a lot of this stuff is, in, you know, in, interconnected influence wise. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers is, is Terrence Malick. Mm he was another example. So you, you brought up Jim Morrison earlier where I wondered where he was getting his material from or what was he thinking? And it caused me to read, I think Nietzsche was, was reading when I was younger. You know, he was a PhD candidate for philosophy and I think he was studying Heidegger. So I got really curious. I go, okay, what, what's, what's he, what's, what's his, uh, what's his thesis? What's, so I went and I studied it and, and you can definitely see the influence, especially the book Being in Time on a lot of what I do and his whole conception of, um, self and world is, is, a, is a big part mm. of it. When you see the, the characters in the story, what I try to convey as a writer is that individuals inhabit different worlds. Uh, one of Heidegger's quotes is, um, uh, world is not a collection of objects. It's, it's a world is an activity. That's not a direct quote, but it's basically saying that an individual is their world. It's not, a, the individual doesn't exist in isolation in a world, they have their own world. So I like the conflict of what I try to convey, and you were describing the description in the book, what I try to convey is these characters are actually living in different worlds. And that relates, I wanted to show how different viewpoints of spirituality and, and those type of questions, how it affects your world, because worldviews affect everything. It affects your, your existence in time, forward and backwards, and it, 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 exists, it, it influences your identity, your decisions. Right, right. well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, it's refreshing to meet a guy like you who's young and he's got a lot of road ahead of him to be so interested and curious about this stuff and to have studied it and to really work it. And it's one thing to quote Alfred E. Newman of Mad Magazine, which is my favorite philosopher, but it's really important though, to, uh, to back up the, uh, the concepts with, I think a lot of hard worked research that you really dig. You really love these guys. Almost uh, you could see uh, a whole line of Marvel superheroes that just happen to be philosophers oh, in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. our world here. <laughs> well, um, how can people uh, reach you and get in touch with you? What's your website? What's the best way? 
Sure. Um, tfmurphy.com. It's uh, TF Murphy. And there's no periods. It's just TF Murphy, one word, dot yeah. com. Okay. And then when you go to my website, you can see my Instagram and my Facebook uh, on it as well. And you click on one of those. Okay. I'm, I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook. So those, those would be the two, two uh, would be the best place. Start, start with the website and uh, go to the Facebook or the Instagram and follow me on Instagram or my Facebook page. Great, great. Well, the book, again, is called The Ways of God to Men, and it's volume one, which means you got your work cut out for you. There's a lot going on with volume two. It's his masterwork at a very young age, but there's more to come. Tim, it's been a great pleasure. TF, I should say. Great pleasure, and I, uh, I'm so glad we connected, and I wish you the best. You as well. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Thanks again, T.F. Murphy, the author of The Ways of God to Men, Volume 1, a science fiction epic available wherever fine books are sold, including Amazon.com, and you can visit tfmurphy.com to find out a whole lot more. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Switch Media, Ken Carberry and the gang at Chart Productions in Boston, where we produce the podcast. And, of course, to all of you from all over the globe who not only subscribe and download the podcast, but share it with friends, and we appreciate that. Remember, you can visit jordanrich.com for much more. And until next time, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.